Hello, everyone. My name is Joshua Gilliland, one of the founding attorneys of the Legal Geeks. We are here to discuss Picard Season 3, Episode 1, The Next Generation. With me is Dana from San Diego. How are you doing, Dana? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. This is amazing. This episode renewed my faith. I feel so good. It's just Seeing Picard and Riker go on an adventure is kind of like watching dad and grandpa go on one last, you know, one last mission. One last is like, well, we got to go help Jenny move. Like whatever, you know, pick whatever the the (laughs) thing is that it's like, again, two dudes that you love a lot going out for one last ride. It's like, I'm on board. I'm on board. Right, right. It kind of. It's kind of like a lot of cop shows where they're like, I'm getting too old for this stuff. Especially <laughs> when Riker's like, oh, I got a stiff wrist and my knee is killing me. So long as we don't have to shoot anything or run, I'm good. <laughs> Which is just it's like, it's like, oh, you're so dead right now. Like it is, it's like, oh, oh yeah. Life after a certain point, you just start hurting in places. And it's just like, you can do it. You can do it, Space Dad. You can do it. So, uh, but just pure fun. And uh, a lot of legal issues in t- on top of all the usual uh, nerd things that we can analyze about track, which, I mean, to be fair, while we talk uh, just general observations, uh, how did this make you feel? This was so amazing to have all of the Easter eggs in the episode and then to have the layered, uh, the layered paths within the episode. Um, so there were so many things to look at, so many things to see. If you haven't seen the episode, spoiler alert, I'm going to spoil it for you. So you just might as well switch it off now because that's what's going to happen. Uh, it just, it, it's just incredible. So we've got the whole episode with Beverly crusher and she hasn't spoken to anyone in 20 years and you're like wait what why would beverly move away from all that well at the end of the episode we find out that she has another son um it's interesting and i wonder who that's going to be but i'm guessing that beverly crusher didn't say anything to anybody because she knew if anyone in her close friend group knew about the son they would tell the person who isn't supposed to know and i'm guessing that john luke has another son but you know that's just my guess and that's gotta be a rough minute uh, to process it's like wait how old are you like i that's when your mom and i were together like that's that's a i would like to have been part of your life i'm pretty upset right now of i wasn't there you're like 25 uh, I would have participated <laughs> like this. So again, that, that's a rough minute. That's a rough minute. Uh, it it looked and felt like a Star Trek episode from the '90s with special effects of today. Yes, yes, and, and that was such a nice feeling to have because seasons one and two didn't have that with the exception of the Stargazer episode of season two, which felt like back to track. This feels like it's back to track as opposed to the uh, 
like existential uh, uh, expose on aging and feeling duty and obligation to uh, friends and and just kind of like missing the mark. This this leans into next gen characters that we characters that we know and love like Jordy's daughter you know who again just beaming you know it's like something wrong with that ensign all of that just super it's just good I'm on board uh I've watched this four times how many have you watched this two and a half ish I had to stop and rewind and stop and rewind. So I'm counting one way all the way through as just one, but there was a lot of stop and go there. Um, and, and I love that they brought back in Guinan's bar and Rafi, but that begs the question, Guinan is so old and knows so much. Why wasn't she there? I, I don't know. This would have been a great opportunity to have Whoopi. I, I just... I mean, she did the interview with all the cast on The View in costume. Why uh, bring her back? (laughs) Where where is she? Maybe the contract thing didn't work. You know how lawyers are always ruining stuff. She she also could have just been busy. Like filming and her schedule might not have lined up. And uh, so maybe there was some issue there. But uh, she is a national treasure. Which is... Brings us to like the episode, you know, it begins with uh, Bev on her ship, which is named Elos. In mythology, Elos was the personification of mercy, clemency, compassion, and pity, which makes sense. Crusher would have a ship with that name. And there's just tons of Easter eggs there. But we, we, we begin with, they get boarded by an, hostile species weapons drawn they speak in clicks there are a couple concepts here one this looks like a home invasion but it's on a spaceship so it's an illegal boarding and you can further get into issues such as uh you know freedom of the seas people have a right you know ships have a right to go out there and not get pirates boarding them and uh, we also get the issue of, you know, like, what is a trespass? In New York, uh, a trespass is committed when someone knowingly enters or remains unlawfully in or upon premises. And that's New York Penal Law Section 140.05. And a person commits criminal trespass in the third degree when they knowingly entered fenced real property. Well, spaceship is kind of like, you know, it's it's a, it's a premises. Like that's their home. I would argue that it's a home because people are living there. Yeah, right? This isn't just a cargo vessel. People are living there. It's not a short hop. They're living on board. It's their home. It's which puts us into the home invasion category. Exactly. Which then allows us to talk about self-defense and defense, defense of others. <clears throat> so Bev vaporizes these two dudes. Dude one is just shot and vaporized in the firefight at, and that looks like a nice clean kill for self-defense purposes. Number two, 
she shoots him in the leg, he goes down, and then she walks up and finishes him off. That that might be the problematic one. So let's talk about the requirements. And that's <laughs> self-defense and defense of others require that someone must actually and reasonably believe in the necessity of defending oneself from imminent danger of death or great bodily injury. And that's people v. Thin, uh, which is D074397 at 10 to 11, uh, California uh, Appellate Court, uh, July 23, 2020. And then we get into the issue of uh, perfect and imperfect self-defense. Uh, for self-defense, one must actually and reasonably believe in the necessity of defending oneself from imminent danger of death or great bodily injury. A killing committed in perfect self-defense is neither murder nor manslaughter is justifiable homicide. And that's um, uh, citing two people v. Randall, uh, 35 Cal 4th, 987 uh, at 994. Uh, a person can be acting in imperfect self-defense uh, when they actually believes he must defend himself from imminent danger of death or great bodily injury, and that belief is unreasonable. Imperfect self-defense mitigates rather than justifies homicide. It does so by negating the element of malice. Dana, what do you think Bev acted in with the two invaders? When I first saw it, I thought, ooh, Beverly Crusher killing someone? No. What happened to the Starfleet set it to stun, right? And they obviously were shooting to injure her. They weren't trying to stun her, uh, but they weren't trying to kill her. So I thought that her use of force at first was just too much. It was a step beyond. Because in several jurisdictions, um, you can only use as much force as necessary to evade your attackers or to escape. But in other jurisdictions, kind of like Texas, there's no requirement to retreat. And once someone's in your home with a weapon, you're allowed to use deadly force. And so, you know, depending on what area she's in, uh, that colors it. But Ben, spoiler alert, we get to the end of the episode and we find out that these intruders have been chasing them, have been hunting them all over the galaxy. Uh, so that begs the question, you know, why are they following them and what's going on? Uh, so depending on who they are, because they're not all human and we can't assume that they're human, just the act of them being alive might cause some type of mental harm to them if they can read her mind or psychically uh, damage her. So I don't know. I think that the first one is probably most justified. The second one, hmm. I have a trouble. I have trouble with the execution. Uh, I I did too, and I I do think that they were using lethal force, even though getting hit once isn't enough to kill. Those weapons were like firing like automatic, like they were like semi-automatic and firing out a salvo. So if you got hit by more than one, it could be fatal. Getting hit. Getting hit by one is you're dying, not uh, she was. They, they weren't set to stun. They were set to maim, and you could be maimed to death. Uh, but yeah, it's Beverly killing the second one. Uh, 
it's just problematic. Uh, it's just really problematic. Yeah. And the fact that they were being hunted and chased throughout the galaxy, um, you know, there's, why didn't she call for help? And if she had a distrust of law enforcement, in this case, Starfleet, um, does that allow for her to use that type of, of self-help? Can she decide, you know, I am the law and I'm going to take things into my own hand? Yeah. And we don't know what the like full story is. So we need more facts to be able to completely have an idea on what's the right answer here. Cause I don't know uh, other than when an invader is incapacitated on the ground, they're arguably no longer a threat and thus the justification to use lethal force has passed. What, what got me, it struck me as interesting in a plot perspective, and it also just totally grossed me out. Riker comes on board the Elos, and he, which, uh, the Mercy, which uh, reminds me that a lot of Navy ships that are medical ships, Beverly Crusher, medical officer, are called Mercy. Uh, so that's a historical reference. I was like, oh, that's, that's very nice. Uh, but what kind of grossed me out is he's like, oh, what weapon did this? And then runs his fingers through the remains of a, like, what, Riker, what are you doing? That's not, you don't do forensic analysis that way. It's like, here, I'll taste it. I no, <laughs> you're right. I was like, that's so gross. Stop messing up a crime scene, one. And two, desecration of human of remains. What? It's just weird. It's again. It's like, it is diesel. It is cocaine. It's like your tongue is doing that. This is really bad. Don't disturb the crime scene. Uh, right. So again, just they again a little lazy storytelling, but uh, just funky because. They're spot on with like their two or three assailants. Okay. Like there, there were two, you know, and they identify like what she did to defend herself. And, and like, this was, this was an execution. Like they're right. Running your hand through the ashes is just weird at that point. And, and I think maybe that might tip us off to something in a future episode where, for whatever reason, they are, weren't completely vaporized by the weapon. And so maybe they're genetically modified in some way or, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, it's, well, again, we'll find out. So Dr. Crusher sends her message of come save me to Admiral Picard which raises the question about the duty to rescue. Did Jean-Luc have a duty to go out and rescue Beverly? The law states there's no general common law duty to rescue unless there is a special relationship. A duty to rescue can be created between individuals by one statutes, two contractual relationships, or three implied by virtue of the relationship between the tortfeasor and a third party. I don't think we have any of these here like they're, no. they're they're no longer active duty mm-hmm. i just think as a general rule if the ex-girlfriend calls for help that you you know you're probably going to cowboy up and go out there no um, you just tell her baby bye 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 yeah. <laughs> i mean yeah that is a legitimate off uh, i'm not getting hurt again 
but you know, like you can see that she's been shot. So it's like, ah, oh, I, I kind of, it's why he's a hero of going, I have to do this uh, as opposed to, by the way, I had your love child and never told you and he's 23. <laughs> that would have really got his attention. So <laughs> here's the second. You know, time and place, time and place. Second encoded message. You're going to get a surprise when you get here. (laughs) (laughs) But he does say, you know, I should have known Beverly would never have sent a distress signal halfway across the galaxy uh, just to save herself. Yes. And, and also about the use of lethal force. She wouldn't do this unless it was like defensive. And that raises the idea of defense of others that she was trying to protect her son, which again, same analysis factor. I think it fails because of, you know, the arguably the threat had passed. Um, but uh, but they're but, out in space. What are they supposed to do with this invader? You know, she's injured the invader. Is she supposed to like treat him and lock him up until they get to space? She can't drop him off the side of the, uh, the side of the ship uh, going back to his i mean you don't he he has intel about them that she doesn't want his cohorts to have i don't know if her ship has a brig it'd be weird if a civilian ship did and even though it does look former starfleet like starfleet surplus but you know the whole does say does say SS, and you know in old days that would be steamship, but uh, it like so it's not, it's a civilian ship, so that it might be demilitarized, but again it's hard to tell, um, and it doesn't have the brightness of a Starfleet vessel, uh, unless she's just been turning out lights. Um, yeah. All of their systems were failing, and since they had been hunted across the galaxy, uh, I would say that they were probably trying to power down to lower their signature so they couldn't be followed. Makes sense. Yeah, yeah, because it took over a minute for warp speed to come back online for them to charge up the the warp engines. So, again, that could be a factor. Now, let's get into boarding the Titan, because our heroes need a ride. We've all been there. So what are you going to do? Now, there's a couple podcasts have talked about this already with Jean, Admiral Jean-Luc Picard has lots of friends. This was the type of thing that La Serena would have been fine for. Uh, he, he's a big wig in dealing with the Klingon Empire. Right. He could call Worf, ask for a ride from Worf. There's... Uh, Bajor, because he had a lot to do with Bajor. He's had a lot to do with Vulcan. He's dating a Romulan former intelligence officer. Maybe she would be handy on this trip. Maybe she knows a couple people with a Romulan ship with a cloaking device that would be helpful. So mm-hmm. there's, <clears throat> he, 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 you think he would call more than Riker? Of being, especially after the don't use anything Starfleet. Okay, well, he's a guy who knows people who aren't in Starfleet. And 
leverage those because that could give him some uh, other options without trying to commit fraud on board a uh, Federation starship in order to get to where they need to go. Right. And, Be- and Beverly's message did say, trust no one. Don't, don't, don't make it Starfleet. And so she kind of knew Picard and knew that he would go to Riker. That was his go-to guy so that he could decode the message. But gosh, you're absolutely right. I, I would have picked anything other than trying to steal a Starfleet ship. Yeah, it's just, it's not, they're, they're hitching a ride. Like they're not planning to take command of it. They just need to get to point A to point B and find Beverly. Now that's wishful thinking that nothing bad's further going to happen, but which is why going with a Klingon battle cruiser probably would be a safe bet for uh, standing up to a hostile uh, force. Uh, or Geordi in the Fleet Museum. Can we take a relic out for a spin? Right. Yeah. Right. Like there's. How about that one? <laughs> <laughs> but you know, there's always the plot twist. There's always the the plot things that needed to happen. So they had to figure out a way to make it work. And I have to say, I absolutely hate Captain Shaw. Hate him. Oh, they they leaned into every obnoxious captain from Star Trek history and then said let's dial it up a couple so there's there's elements of uh the first captain of the excelsior from star trek three super by the book kind of a pain in the neck uh then you have cap the captain of the grissom uh i believe his name was esteban also from star trek three so kind of the by the book uptight um and and not afraid to throw out a little ageism uh as well and then you get jellico from the chain of command two-parter and next gen who took over from jean-luc for two episodes when jean-luc gets captured and tortured um great performance uh and i don't think jellico was a bad captain he's just uptight and uh does it again different leadership style and uh, learning to work with different leadership styles is complicated. Sometimes you can't, can make it work and sometimes you can't. Like Riker and he could not make it work. Right. <clears throat> but you kind of take those three, kind of the pain in the neck captains who are just annoying. And this dude is rude. You have VIPs on board and you're going to eat dinner before them doesn't even bother to greet them. They leave space dock, but the, and the captain doesn't even go on the bridge. And it's the first time for this vessel being out. That's insane. Like, that's insane. The captain is always there. Like that, that's, that's absolutely insane. And then to put your uh, VIP guests in an ensign, like bunk beds, really? It was just giving them the middle finger at every opportunity. And right. He's very not Starfleet. He's the guy that's in the class that everybody hates. He's the jerk off. And how he got to be captain is beyond me. Peter Principal, just so obnoxious in each post, he just gets promoted out of it so people don't have to deal with him. And now he's the captain of a starship. The uh, it's everything he says 
has an insult built into it. Like being given a bottle of wine, I'm more a Malbec man. Screw you. Say thank you and like be done with it. You don't need to add. It's like, I I look forward to tasting it. That's all you have to say to the guy who saved the Federation multiple times. I like, and that's the, that's the bonkers thing. It, it's not like Riker and Picard are showboats. They're by the book guys who saved the universe multiple times. But yeah. he calls them cowboys and he goes, we're not going to crash anything on purpose or otherwise. It's going to be clean. You're not going to find anything here. We don't do things the way you do them. We do them the right way, which is insulting. Super insulting. I mean, which brings me to, to the next point is that does Captain Shaw create a hostile work environment? With, if it's on the basis of age, I would say so. And for uh, Seven of Nine on her basis of being former Borg, that also could be a protected class because if it's viewed as a disability, or national origin that would put her in a protected class. And uh, it's, I mean, we could, we could have a psychology podcast discuss seven of nine at length because she goes from seven of nine, but there's a Voyager episode where she confronts the Borg queen and actually sees her assimilated father and says, my name is Annika Johansson. So like she actually at one point embraced her humanity in her name. In Picard season one, apparently she did for a while, but had a relationship go bad. And after each have died, like went back to seven. I mean, there's, uh, I've listened to one podcast where they discussed is this dead naming, like for someone who's trans. And mm-hmm. uh, I hadn't thought of it that way. Uh, maybe that's what the writers are trying to do regardless it's that's very one- interesting because I, I i took it a different way okay um because uh, a hostile work environment is defined as inappropriate behavior in a workplace that's either severe or pervasive um, enough to cause uh, or create an abusive work atmosphere for one or more employees and so i took it as uh, when, we, when we first get on that ship she says uh, when we first get on the uss titan uh, he goes, oh, seven. And, he, and she says, <clears throat> Admiral, the captain prefers people to call me seven of nine or not seven of nine, but Annika Hansen. And so it's not her desire. It's his desire. So he's renaming her. He's just being hostile and aggressive. Like I'm going to take away from it. It's like, your name's not Kentakute. Your name is Toby. Right? <laughs> like that's really what I took it as. Um, it just was so, so mean. And at every turn, uh, he just is mean. And so we see throughout the whole episode, seven of nine says, uh, lower your expectations. When you see this guy, it's not going to be great. They're pulling out a space dock for the first time. He's not there. Everybody's like scared, pipped out. And so I just took it as uh, and then later on when they're dining, he's like, Hey, wait a minute, this loyalty and all of you ex Borg, that's like, that's like saying all of you people, that was just not great. 
And so we know that hostile work environment can be created uh, based on rape as race or ethnicity, religious harassment, disability, um, or whether or not you perceive someone as being in a protected class, even if they're not. Uh, so I just really dislike, uh, I dislike Captain Shaw. The actor did an amazing job because I just wanted to kick him out of a, out of a port. <laughs> and you could, okay, they had close-ups of him eating. He has great uh, manners. I'm like, that, that could be a very unflattering uh, image of chowing down on your steak. And they, they did have him look dignified doing it. Uh, so, but yeah, the, your, your points are spot on with no one looked comfortable on the bridge <laughs> and, you know, there's, uh, in naval custom, like the, you have watches for manning the ship and technically the captain doesn't stand a watch because they're supposed to always be on duty which is why the captain's cabin is like by the bridge so they can be there quickly uh, if something happens. Like I get all of that. Leaving space dock without the captain on, you know, on, on the bridge is just weird. That was a huge red flag that this guy is not going to be fun. Now I, I do have a Facebook contact that's apparently friends with the actor who played the, you know, Shaw. And and she posted photos of them watching it together. He looks like a oh. fun dude in real life. So like there's the <laughs> it's like, oh, you you are acting because you do your pictures look fun. So like it's a group selfie with like five people. It's like, cool, cool, good, he, good work. He, he was also the actor in another series. Um oh, I forget the name of it now, but it's the one where the 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 Germans win. Uh, man, man in the high castle yes yeah, yeah. i did the the dystopian futures i have a tough time watching just because i prefer optimism uh even though i do like alt history for going like how things could change for example for all mankind is a positive one that the u.s right. loses the race to the moon but it makes the world a better place because we then step up, Nixon puts women into the space program in 1969, and uh, the Equal Rights Amendment gets passed and ratified by the states. Uh, they're you know out of Vietnam before 1972. Uh, they also have Ted Kennedy then beat Nixon in 72, and then Reagan beat Kennedy in 76. And it just sets up this alt future where the 70s were actually good for the country as opposed to the Nazis in charge. And which is like, that's, it's hard for me to go, I want to watch a show about Nazis. Um, I just, I, it's really hard for me to do that. It, it is. And, and that part of, part of, I think why I didn't like Shaw as much is that I, I really hope that he's been taken over by some bug that crawled in his head or something because in the future, Star Trek has always been about inclusivity, right? And diversity and embracing everyone. And this guy isn't that. And so I want a future, like you said, where everything is more, more optimistic, more positive, and he's not that. And so I, I just, it, it makes me go, oh no, they just 
pass this guy on? No. But he could have a huge uh, atonement arc for all that we know, because you know there's going to be spaceships fighting. The Titan is the hero ship in this story. So he might, I mean, they're going to get shot up. We know that's going to happen because it's Star Trek. There's going to be photon torpedoes in him. Maybe he might like mellow out after a couple of fights where they, you know, like when it's just, I'm running this little mission, nothing ever bad happens to me. I never have to draw a phaser. I I never have to worry about bad things. Maybe that's his world. And maybe after a firefight or two, he'll change his tune. So like, let's, let's give him some hope that he can atone for the bad behavior. I, I sincerely hope that an alien has invaded his body. That's really the best that I can hope for. Uh, it's, yeah, I mean, I'm not going to, again, the board <laughs> comment was just, it's like Riker was so good at opening fire at that point of like, oh, hell no. Um, and he did exactly what you should do if you see a hostile work environment or if you see someone doing something that's not appropriate. Right. So um, if someone's calling someone out on, on or making a, a, an off color joke, you don't let it go and go later. Oh, I'm sorry. I should have said something. Yeah. Stop it right there. And, and Riker was absolutely Starfleet in that moment. I was like, good for you. Yeah, it's rock on space, dad. Like again, <laughs> echoing the best of track of like, uh, uh-uh, no, no. Uh, bad Malbec drinker. So but do our heroes commit fraud? Because like they they have this pretense yeah. for doing this 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 inspection. So let's talk about what fraud is. In California, uh, this is uh, Civil Code Section seventeen ten subsection three, specifically. But but reading all of ten uh, deals with deceit, and deceit is uh, the suggestion as a fact. Uh, that which is not true by one who does not believe it to be true. The assertion as a fact that which is not true by one who has no reasonable grounds for believing it to be true. Three, the suppression of a fact by one who is bound to disclose it or who gives information of other facts which are likely to mislead for want of communication of that fact or a promise made without any intention of performing it. I do think we're in subsection three because they're suppressing a fact. We need help to go here to save Dr. Crusher. That's why we're doing this. But they're not bound to disclose that fact. Like they don't have a duty to do it. I would think that they are, um, it's more deception by trick, right? So um, they're saying something that's not really true in order to get something that they want. And they don't even believe what they're saying is true. So that, I mean, that does put it under kind of category two. So there's- Or category one. Okay. Yeah, a couple ways to look at this. And luckily we don't have to brief it. So we could- (laughs) But I mean, you know, I think that it, I think that it is deceitful and I think that it, it is fraudulent. Um, they're trying to get someone to act against Starfleet's orders uh, by trick. And do they have the ability to make that decision? Does Riker have that ability to make the decision for Starfleet? And he doesn't. 
and Admiral Picard, Admiral Picard is retired, so he definitely does not. Nope. No, they're they're using their influence and hero status to try to get something that they want. Shaw's not in their chain of command because one, he and Riker are the same rank. Riker clearly has seniority on him, uh, but doesn't isn't attached to a current command. And Picard's retired. And you know, in season two, he was running the academy. So it looks like he stopped doing that. Uh because if he was still, again, it's not clear. If he was still running the academy, would that give him more grounds to uh, ask for a, you know, a road trip with a starship? Uh, it'd be, it'd you be, know, maybe he's checking on the cadets who are aboard each starship, right? Yeah. Maybe that's his his ability to get on there. This is, it brings me to another plot twist that I'm like, no, nah, this doesn't fit. If you're the commanding officer, if you're still at space dock and you're the CEO of a spaceship, why wouldn't you call Starfleet and be like, hey, why didn't anybody tell me that an admiral and another captain are coming on my ship? What the heck is going on? And then especially after they made the ask to go out, I would have been like, whoa, what's going on? I need to talk to somebody about this. I could see that. I could also see leaning on like naval history that like naval ships like we're talking 19th century like let's go you know commodore perry let's go visit japan that they were kind of like ambassadors like they were entrusted with with you know a fair amount of authority in representing the country uh especially if they didn't we didn't have relations someplace so it's like great white fleet to like through the Hoover administration of like a little gunboat diplomacy. Uh, but so maybe there's echoes of that. Uh, he doesn't feel like picking up the phone and calling uh, because like the military today, we have instant communications. So people can pick up the phone. And I heard one Coast Guard commander say, you know, back in the old days, we just trusted people to make decisions as opposed to getting a phone call every five minutes for like, hey, can I do this? And, and maybe Starfleet is more on, you're a captain, we expect you to make decisions and you know report accordingly. Uh, maybe it's- It could be Shaw being a dork and Shaw just <laughs> wanted to rub it in and twist the screws on people he thought were, had a bigger uh, persona or bigger reputation than they deserved. Yeah, which is just, he's just a jerk. And again, maybe he gets a redemption. It'd be having him get killed and either Seven take over or Riker take over is too easy. Um, again, this is just thinking out loud for future episodes. It's more interesting for him to grow as a person and you know, and realize, oh, maybe I could learn a few things uh, from the. Or maybe they keep with maybe they keep with season two and just kill them off. Somebody just because yeah. you're a jerk and send them out of an airlock and we're done with it. Yeah, it's just yeah, <laughs> it's, chokes on a piece of steak. No one saves them. Oh, that's too bad. The captain's choking. Look at the time. Like and just. <laughs> 
I mean, he does seem like the type of guy that would have the epitaph killed by own troops in Vietnam. Like it, he doesn't. <laughs> does okay. not have, no one's going to rescue him if he goes overboard. Where'd he go? I don't know. Should we turn around? No, we have a schedule to meet. And, the last uh, order he gave me was to stay right there. Don't move a muscle. Yeah, it's all in orders. He's uh, just the people you need to endure trust, and you know, like this gets into uh, you know the legal theory, or excuse me, the political theory. Is it better to be you know loved or feared? And the answer is you should have a little of both, and. Uh, because if you just have it based upon fear, like there's no loyalty there. They're just terrified of you and don't want, you know, negative career repercussions and uh, love. You don't want to get walked on. Uh, so again, you, I, I think you want a little bit of both. He clearly doesn't care about people liking him. Yeah. Which is why he takes a glass of, or a bottle of wine and goes to his bunk. I just, I don't. No, thank you. And and uh, it wasn't and it wasn't even the Malbec. <laughs> no, no. Yeah, I was like, yeah, dork. Yeah. So we, which then raises the issue of of um, you know, was it right for Shaw to ignore uh, Picard's request to change course? And it's like, yeah, well, he Shaw is technically right. Yes. So he doesn't have any orders to the contrary. He has a visiting retiree and another VIP who asked him to change course. And he said, no. Um, and he put them in bunk beds. So, I mean, he's not getting a Christmas card. Um, no. <laughs> uh, which then leads us to uh, Commander Hansen disobeying an order and in helping out Jean-Luc and Riker for going to where they need to go. And she does that based on trust and loyalty and going for like, what's going on, dude? Uh, and she kind of does it out of spite because she was told absolutely not. You're not going to be loyal because, you know, she does say, tell me what's going on, you know, or I'm going to put you out of an airlock. <clears throat> but at that point, the decision had already been made. Like she was, we were like, they were already maybe, there. <laughs> yeah. It's, they were pulling into the parking lot. Like there was, uh, she could have done that earlier with like, hey, boys, want to, want to clue me in? Cause this, I, I know you. I know you. I know what you're doing. Tell me what's going on. Um, Cause you're represent, you know, like we've gone on adventures together. I know what you do. And this is clearly, uh, you, you can't, can't fool me. Uh, and she does it anyway. So she disobeys right. a lawful order. She's in trouble. She is in trouble. And what's interesting is that she realizes, you know, hey, wait, these are the same people who, when I was a ranger, said, you can't just go out and do what you want to do because you think it's the right thing to do. You have to follow the law. Um, and you have to follow rules and regulation. And for those same people to now be like, we got to do something. <laughs> you know, with the wink and the nod, she's like, something's up. Yeah. And and they they tell her, and it's like, we were trying to protect you. 
we didn't want you to get in trouble for this. And she's like, no, I'll take the hit. <laughs> I think I think Seven has decided this isn't for me. Peace yeah. them out. Yeah, but the discussion that she has with Picard about like, how do you deal with a moron who's, you know, it's like, uh, I never figured that out. Let me know if you do. So it's like part of the service. Like you just, you're going to deal with some boneheads and you're going to need to make peace with that and figure out how to make it work. And and that made me the saddest of all parts of the episode. When Picard said that, I was like, no, in the future, there are no boneheads in Starfleet. They get washed out in the Academy. Eh. Yeah, you, would, you wouldn't want morons promoted. You wouldn't want bad exactly. people to be in charge. That... Uh, but at times I'm like, this is life. Like you can, you know, somebody in a management position thinks a certain act needs to be done and you think it's not helpful to what you need to do. And I constantly thought of the cane mutiny while watching this episode. That's a good point. That's a very good point. It's like she needs to learn to work with this guy and have trust and being able to go that, you know, how do you explain to him? There's a distress signal. They can't tell us about it. We need to help them. And, and just say, we have to play this out and we have to, you know, trust them uh, with what information they can give. That's a huge ask and would require trust between the captain and first officer. Right. And, but I do have to say this, um, like the captain jarring awake in his sweaty little bunk when they when they come to a stop. Come on, this is a this is a what a, a neo a neo galaxy a neo a neo constitution class ship. They haven't figured that out yet. Yeah. So a couple of things with that because that was one of my eye roll moments. It's like okay, there's no sound in space, so. Right. So if there's now grant there could be machinery inside of the ship there could and there could be like an energy wave or distortion that when it hits the ship does cause a noise because there there is no air because they there are audio recordings of like this is what deep space sounds like and it's not like actually you hear it it's a device detects what right. the what that noise is uh, I get the lights flashing and that could wake him up. But, um, and I understand the first officer saying, you know, she can't say, go put a tarp up outside the captain's windows. <laughs> I mean, that would be. <laughs> she could have been approach aft. <laughs> We're going to back in. <laughs> and and everyone would know why. It's like, shh, don't wake the captain. <laughs> everyone wearing slippers and in quiet mode yeah it's like <laughs> don't wake mom up yeah I, I get that I don't get you know the what we see here but um uh, but yeah he wakes up and he's in a bad bad mood that's because so, he was drinking Malbec I like Malbec too so it's just it's really hurtful you know it's just because of this episode I hate Malbec it's, you know, the movie Sideways damaged Merlot sales. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. but I don't, 
I don't see Malbec taking that big of a hit. Um, and maybe Picard will send him a Malbec when it's all said and done. Like maybe, yeah, maybe it'll all work out. But anyway. Um, Hopefully he gets a ball of two buck chuck on his way out the airlock. <laughs> <laughs> Here's your Boone Strawberry Hill. Go enjoy. And uh, oh, that's hysterical. But let's talk about, um, you know, defending Riker and, and Picard for their actions, which raises the necessity of defense. And that's in Star Trek right. a whole bunch. And all their actions were to save Dr. Crusher, whose life looked like it was in imminent danger. So if we apply the California jury instructions for the necessity defense, they are Admiral Picard and Captain Riker acted in an emergency to prevent a significant bodily harm or evil to Dr. Crusher. Admiral Picard and Captain Riker had no adequate legal remedy uh, or alternative. The defendant's actions did not create a greater danger than the one avoided. When the defendant acted, he acted, actually believed that the action was necessary to prevent the threatened harm or evil. A reasonable person also would have believed that the act was necessary under the circumstances and the defendant did not substantially contribute to the emergency. Dana, what do you think? I, I think that they don't get, uh, I, I think that they don't get the necessity defense. Uh, integral to the necessity defense is that you have to appreciate the harm. And in this case, they don't have enough facts to go on. They just kind of know, hey, something bad's happening, come get me. It could be, I have a hangnail and I pulled it and now it's run. But they just hear, hey, look, don't trust anyone. Get over here. And, and that's quite not quite enough. Um, I, and then if there was an illegal alternative, you know, they said don't contact Starfleet. Well, there are lots of other people that they could have contacted. Like you said earlier, they could have contacted the Romulans. They could have contacted the Klingons. They could have contacted the Vulcans. Uh, so, you know, sorry. Yeah, there's there were other alternatives. Um, at least we could name some. The they could see in the video recording she had been shot in the shoulder, so like they knew she had been injured. So I, I do think they can get an idea about harm, uh, even if they don't fully understand the extent of it. But the alternate remedies of I'll call the Again, I'll ask my Romulan girlfriend, you know, if she can bum me a ride to the edge of Federation space, assuming that a Romulan warship could get through Federation space at this point in time. But again, that go to the Vulcans. I mean, she, you know, he mind melded with Sarek. Like you, there has to be some descendants on that from Sarek or other family. Uh, like go there. And and the thing too is when they saw that Beverly had been shot in the shoulder, that creates an immediate harm. Mm -hmm. But their actions weren't immediate. No, they had to get there. <laughs> That's the right. It wasn't like you know we hopped in the car and we just zipped right out there, or we transported right to her ship. That's not what happened. It took them quite some time to get there. Um, and as far as they know, she could have bled out days ago. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's imperfect. Like there, there are holes in it, 
which then goes to the issue of they could have called somebody else and like there there's other people that they could have called and why didn't they try to they got a codex uh relay why didn't they try to send her a codex back good question plot (laughs) was it from a burner phone like how did this work out like is there no return number like you know call her back so um good points good points you brought in the issues with uh rafi and uh drug dealing and trafficking because she's playing you know confidential informant undercover uh to get information from a drug dealer uh can you walk us through those issues yeah so she's working for a handler uh, and Rafi, as we're, while working through her handler, uh, goes to uh, Maltus Prime, District 6, and there she's buying drugs from an Orion. And on District 6, as she's going through that setup, you see that there's all kinds of people administering drugs to others, selling drugs to others, uh, you know, dealing with weapons, all of which people, even in that environment, what she's trying to purchase from the Orion is still kind of hush-hush. He still does a sleight of hand. Um, And so he would be drug dealing or drug trafficking. And under California Health and Safety Code Section 11352, uh, it makes it a felony offense to sell, transport, furnish, administer, or import a controlled substance. Uh, And it it carries a penalty of up to nine years in jail and $20,000. So, you know, in this instance, we see the uh, the first lady, she's there and she gets misted by someone else. And she's like, oh, that was amazing. Right. Uh, and then Rafi purchases uh, chemicals from him. So, yeah, he's transported it. He's furnished it to her. Uh, and it's a controlled substance because otherwise he would be like, hey, go buy this at your local pharmacy or your local restaurant. Um, but no, she's she's doing it on the slide. So. You know, I don't know if you saw um, anything else uh, in that in that Maltus Prime. It, it just, you know, I got a stepfather that was a drug addict, and that's what ended that marriage with my, you know, between mm. he and my mother. So I, I see drug addiction as a disease, and right. and uh, I, I have no sympathy for drug dealers. Uh, I mean, I, I get the societal issue of uh, those who are trapped because of uh, economics in getting into being a low-level drug dealer. Um, that's happened, and that's a different discussion as opposed to something like an organized drug cartel. Organized um, crime, yeah. yeah. You know, hurting families, hurting people. Uh, but those who are the addicts are, you know, uh, suffering from a disease. And so with Rafi, she's recovered. So like, I was initially going like, I don't want her being a drug addict again. I want her to have recovered. Uh, but as soon as she started talking about trying to press him for info, I went, she's not an addict. She's, she's undercover. She's trying to uh, use her drug addiction as a cover story in order to get info and i was very glad that i was right <laughs> like it was like close i'm home. glad you were right <laughs> i was like 
close one. Like we should not have to go through this again. Like we see, you know, like she got her life back together. That's great. That's what we want. We don't need to see a relapse. And uh, seeing the old style communicator was very endearing with the flip. And (laughs) that was incredible. And her talking to the spy master. I, I have, I think three people, I think it could be. I could be completely wrong, uh, but there are three people I think it could be. One is Giorgio from Discovery, because we know she goes back in time and we know that she'll end up in a Section 31 series. So, and, you know, the comments about you are a warrior, it's like, kind of sounds like Giorgio. Dr. Bashir from Deep Space Nine, he could be, he could be running section 31 or a operation for it or Garrick from deep space nine who Hmm. was a spy but uh, I think they established another material that he ended up the leader of what was left of Cardassia for rebuilding it after the Dominion War Uh, but even as a head of state I could see him trying to get Rafi out to again it, it, it had his tone But I think Giorgio makes sense because that's one way to bring her in. And Bashir makes a lot of sense. Uh, So I I never would have thought of Bashir. He likes playing spy in the holodeck. He does. And Sloan targeted him to be an agent. So him ending up in that world would not surprise me. And it's a way to bring in the actor to have another appearance. I, I just didn't think that the dialogue was very Bashir. Yeah, which is why my first thought was Giorgio. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and maybe even somebody who we would be like, what, you know? It, it, could, be, it could be left field, like, and because it could be- it, to, to refuse to be her handler when she says she's been undercover, she's been deep in this for months. To be in this this type of a thing for months and not know who your handler is, that doesn't seem right to me. So that definitely smacks a section 31. Oh, absolutely. It's just, you need the undercover group to fight these type of threats that are, and, and that also go against perhaps core values of Starfleet. It's like, no, we're going to be above board. It's like, yeah, but the people that we fight aren't. So having having the Calistine group that is, you know, the not the primary, they're the ones in the shadows. Um, you know, there was a they're Marvel. The, oh, they're on. the NSA of Starfleet. Yeah, it's, well, <clears throat> there was a uh, Marvel comic series called Original Sin, which focused on Nick Fury being the man on the wall. And Fury for, you know, decades was doing wet ops of, you know, killing potential threats, like before they, you know, like, and, and again, very Cold War-esque type story. And because you generally need, like, you know, the, the undercover top secret working in the shadows to make sure that, you know, the world doesn't get covered in a shadow. So are we dealing with something along those lines here? Um, I don't know. 
but whoever it was wasn't that smart because if they're at Starfleet and they're like red lady, red lady, who's the red lady? And they're looking at a, you know, a twelve-story red lady statue. I mean, it's how many recruitment centers do they have? Like, so this was, you know, the recruitment. Yeah, that's true. That's true. I mean, it's it's like every armed forces recruiting, you know, office in every strip mall in the country. Like there's, there's going to be lots of them. Uh, On the flip side, there's only one, you know, uh, Great Lakes where, you know, the Naval recruits go or Cape May for the Coast Guard. So like this wasn't, you know, like Starfleet boot camp. Uh, You know, it was, uh, now Grant, we don't know if people were living there. I mean, it was a very, very big building. Uh, uh, But again, we, that wasn't on earth. Uh, that is a scary weapon that it will transport and then drop its target wherever you want it uh, and break it up in the process. So uh, real threat, very, very big threat. So, but good issue spotting on uh, for everything. Is there anything else that's jumped out at you while we've been discussing this? Gosh, no, not that I can think of right at the moment, but I look forward to seeing the next episode. I think it's going to be fabulous. And all the Easter eggs in the closing sequence. So so viewers, if you haven't seen the closing sequence, you really have got to slow it down, read all the dialogue. There's so many. It just, I, my heart was jumping all over the place. I was like, oh, I know that one. Oh, I know that one. Oh, I know that one. Uh, so you really have to watch and and read. You have to watch and read. And yeah, because there's clearly made by people who love Star Trek. And like there's the the war report that was the Battle of, of Wharf 359. Yes. And, and it makes me wonder, because of the Borg statement that Shaw made, was he an ensign or a young lieutenant at 359? And is that why he's got a little chip on his shoulder? Um that would make sense if you were if 11 million of your closest friends died on one day maybe you got to think about the board uh knowing what happened to the enterprise a that's nice voyager i mean all these cute little shout outs that you see and it's like yes um i do find it entertaining that jordy laforge is a commodore and so he now outranks Riker and Worf and uh, not, not Picard, but you know, like Jordy outranks some of his former superior officers. So, and occasionally that happens. Yeah, it's, I mean, Riker made the right choice of my son is ill. I'm right. you know, going on in active duty to take care of my kid. Um, and also realizing, hey, my family's more important than me trying to be an admiral. So I'm going to be a dad first. And but there is that interesting clue at the very top of the show where he says, oh, Deanna and my daughter won't miss. They'll be happy for me to be gone. Yeah. And that that bothered me for a few reasons, because in season one, he looked like a good dad. Mm-hmm. And I don't like the trope of of showing people just having failed marriages it's just 
it's like, hey, maybe the heroes can work out and like not everyone ends up divorced. Like, yeah, it happens. 50% of marriages end up divorced, but maybe our heroes make it work. And, you know, I think that it shows that sometimes you can be so dedicated to something that you lose sight of why you're doing it. You do it for your family. You do it for the love of it. But at the end of the day, your family's most important. And I think that maybe he forgot about that. Yeah. You know, that, that could be it. Or it just could be, you know, they're tired of my brick oven pizzas and dad jokes. <laughs> Which was... Yeah, I mean, I could, and if they're living on a, like a secluded part of a planet by themselves, and they have the preteen daughter, she might be getting fed up with that arrangement badly, because that's like homeschool to the worst degree. Like it's, maybe go to Alaska, there, you know, go, go to, go to any place with a town where you can have neighbors, (laughs) she can have friends. Deanna can have friends. It's not all of you in the same house for every day, all the time. Um, Cause that would get a little, I mean, as for those who survived COVID with children, that, that, that was a little rough. <laughs> that, that was those rough. who survived COVID with anybody else other than yourself. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. So the more, you know, so maybe, Maybe that cabin is, while it's nice, maybe it feels small after a while. So um, we'll see. But anyway, everyone, thanks for tuning in. We're now into this golden age where we're going to have multiple episodes a week for a while. And uh, I can say we are going to WonderCon. You can see us there. Can't tell you the topics yet. Well, we'll get that two weeks beforehand, but there will be two panels with us. And there will be a whole bunch of lawyers and judges there. It's going to be fun. And I promise it's going to be fun. Yes. You know, glare. Um, <laughs> we're going to have fun, damn it. And uh, and after that, uh, other things will be happening as well. Uh, but until then, stay safe, stay healthy, and above all else, stay geeky.